All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, and Shabbat Shalom. We are in Ezekiel, scroll five, part three. Can there be any more parts? But seriously though, I've had such amazing response and personal conviction going through the study on spiritual warfare, which is based upon this fifth scroll in Ezekiel 28, which is the fifth scroll. But this today really is going to be the finale on spiritual warfare and its origins, Satan, Chelel. In fact, what we're going to do today, as the prophet Isaiah says, sometimes you've got to tear things apart so that you can build it back up. And if Yahweh tells us through Peter, as you said just a moment ago, that we are lively living stones, and ultimately I believe that Yahweh wants us to be a healthy, vibrant body of believers that are learning to come together. When we fail to do that, which we've all been a part of, we're all guilty, then wouldn't it be good for us, behoove us, to deconstruct the origin of these lively stones, get to the spiritual root of what's not causing us to adhere together, what's not causing us to be in our settings, and then once we've deconstructed it, we can rebuild together. That's my hope, and that's what I'm learning, and um I hope that we can learn together today. So, we're going to deconstruct those breastplate stones that we saw on Chelel, Satan. Remember that he had nine of the lively stones of the breastplate. He was missing three stones of the high priest's breastplate, which has 12. Peter tells us that we are lively stones, the congregation that's going to be built up together. We should be in glorious settings. But there are problems in community, problems with us all, and we need to understand what's going wrong. Well, let's tear it all down, deconstruct it, look at its dark spiritual root, Satan, Chelel, and then we can have an opportunity to build back up. That's my hope today. That's a big calling. But let's turn to the word of Yahuwah. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. First of all, before we even delve into the scripture, we must acknowledge that Satan doesn't act on his own. Satan, Chelel, as he is called, does not act on his own. He is actually given permission by Yahuwah. He's given permission by Yahuwah. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. And indeed, if our Besorah, our good news, has been veiled, so not everybody's going to be able to see what you and I see. Not everybody is going to understand what we understand. What do we do when they don't see, when they don't understand? Do we fight? Do we push? Do we shove? What do we do? There's a better way. Not everybody's going to see. It has been veiled or hidden. It's a mystery in those that are perishing, in whom the mighty one of this age, that's a metaphor there for Satan, Chelel, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. 
So that the enlightening of the Besorah, the good news of the esteem of Messiah, who is the likeness of Elohim, does not shine on them. So Chelel, Satan, he wants to blind us all. He wants to blind us all. He wants to blind us firstly by attacking our minds. That's the biggest battleground that I have. To have clarity when I open the word, that I'm not thinking about the domestic issues. Of course, we know that's the origins of Abraham's troubles. It's the origins of all of our troubles, you know. Okay, the best domestic issues, but not to block our minds before we go into the word from goodness. That's the first attack. Ephesians 2 verse 1, Yahweh continues through the apostle Paul. And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world. That means the cosmos. So for me, I have to personally unlearn the old paths in which I walked. And a lot of that is to deconstruct my former thinking. The way I used to act and think about things, at some point, Yahweh wants to bring me into a new place of putting the same things before me, but hoping that I'm going to act and think differently. But to act differently, I have to think differently. But this isn't me alone. This is what he's showing me for all of us to help us be better lively stones. So he goes on to say, according to the ruler of the authority of the air or the prince that controls the airways. So Satan Chelel was missing some stones. Ezekiel 28 verse 13. You were in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Elohim. Precious, every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, we're getting the description now. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the shoham, the jasper, the sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, and in fact, even gold. The workmanship of your settings and mountings was prepared for you on the day you were created. So, we have a goldsmith in our midst. And correct me if I'm wrong. Not only the search for valuable jewels is part of what a jeweler or a goldsmith seeks. A true goldsmith a jeweler is looking for not just the great stones. That's only part of it. The more important part, even than the stone, is what? The workmanship in the settings. Because you can have the most amazing three or four carat diamond that is flawless or near to flawless. And if your settings are lousy, then you lose the stone and whatever was adhesive and together comes apart. Yahweh is looking to work on our cohesion through our own personal settings and the way we adjust our settings is through our thinking. 
This is what the Father is showing me because he wants to do something in all of us. All of us, and it starts with the workmanship of our settings. It's not how much light I can project, or how shiny I am, or how good at this. It's the settings. You can look at my outward appearance and say great or not great, but the settings is everything that's holding my inward parts together. The way that I think about things, speak about things, what I decide to listen to and not can truly affect whether my stone, my glory actually stays cohesive with others. This is what the Father is showing me. I hope that I'm even making sense because I'm making sense to at least one person in the room, myself. This tells us, though, that Satan, Helel, had nine of the twelve stones, the high priest stones. The three qualities that are missing are what? What are the three qualities that are missing from the three stones? Jayasinth, Hyacinth. Depending how you pronounce it, that represents, hyacinth represents, excuse me, the name of Yahuwah. That was missing. The first stone that was missing, hyacinth. The second stone that was missing was agate or agate, depending again on where you're from and how you pronounce it. That was gemstone number eight, and the agate represents and means that to which restores life. It restores life or to restore. Another way of saying that in the Hebrew is teshuv, where we is the root of teshuvah, to return, to make repentance. So we're seeing something here. Firstly, stone number seven, the hyacinth was missing, which is, the divine name of Yahuwah. Second, agate is missing, the eighth stone, which means to return to Yahuwah or to shuv, to repent. And then the third stone that was missing was stone number nine, which was the amethyst. The amethyst, what is oftentimes a stone that lovers give one another? The amethyst, right? Especially when, you know, you're back in high school or college, because it's kind of a cheaper stone. You know, people aren't going to go and usually throw down for a big diamond for their, you know, high school sweetheart. I mean, maybe, but, you know, usually not. You go and you get yourself an amethyst. I'm speaking from experience here. So, okay, you get the amethyst. It's a, it, what does it mean? To join closely. To join closely. So what's missing? What's missing? These are the three stones that are missing from S.A. Tan's breastplate. On the breastplate of S.A. Tan were nine other stones, but he has corrupted their righteous characteristics. So we're going to look at the converse of the righteous characteristics, and we're going to break down this whole lively living stone that Peter talks about, and then hopefully by the end of the teaching be able to rebuild it back up. Okay, so let's look at these stones. The first stone was the ruby from the tribe of Reuben. It means submission to Yahuwah and those over you. What's the opposite of submission? Rebellion. The converse. 
So we've got to be careful of the rebellion. The second stone was topaz, which means to be, I mean, just look at it. It's like pure running water. It's purity. The tribe of Simeon. So what's the opposite of purity? To be tamay, to be unclean, to be corrupted. The third stone, beryl. To give light, that means to give light from the tribe of Levi. So, conversely, to be in the darkness, to be in ignorance of something. Look, we're deconstructing here. Fourth, turquoise. Turquoise represents the Torah of Yahuwah. Oftentimes you'll find the Torah scroll will be housed in an ark made of turquoise. Why? Because the turquoise represents the tribe of Yehuda, Judah, and the opposite of the Torah and of light is what? To be antinomian, anti-Torah, lawless, which many of us were raised in the church with that thinking. The fifth stone, sapphire. Sapphire, of course, is the foundation of it all. What's the foundation? The only reason that I can stand up here, the only reason that I have a marriage, is what? Because of the word of Yahuwah. Sapphire represents the word of Yahuwah, which is the foundation to a believer's strength. People that don't read the Bible, they're never going to grow. You cannot grow in Yahuwah unless you are a student of the word. You can get involved in missions, you can go to church on Wednesday and Sunday, but if you're not reading, digesting the word yourself, you're never going to grow. So we find that Sapphire is the book of Yahuwah, the holy scriptures. It's the tribe of Dan, Sapphire. What scriptures were presented to you? Well, I was only presented with uh, two-thirds of the book. You start off in the book of John and you read to Revelation. Well, what about the front part of the book? So the opposite, the converse of the word of Yahuwah is what? Segmenting it. Not the whole word of Yahuwah. Something with two-thirds of it missing. The sixth stone is emerald. Emerald is a healing stone. It means to heal and, of course, was the stone for the tribe of Naphtali. Those that are in sickness and disease, not only in body, but in thought, word, action, and deed is the converse. The seventh stone, chrysolite, that represents and was the stone of the tribe of Zebulun. Chrysolite is about reverence, a stone of reverence, reverence of Yahweh. Of course, the opposite, the converse of that is to have irreverence. The church is full of irreverence. One of the reasons I left was the irreverence. Rocking out to all kinds of crazy music on a Sunday and hearing about Survivor in a church sermon to me was irreverence. And there was enough of that in the world. Irreverence, profane, making something that's supposed to be set apart and holy common. We saw too much of that, didn't we? And then the eighth stone, onyx, from the tribe of Joseph, onyx, zeal, fire, zadok, the opposite of that, 
you're indifferent, you're lukewarm, you don't care. Interesting that onyx is often a stone that is used for lighters. My dad had a big onyx stone lighter when we were a kid that would light his cigars. Why? Because it can endure through the fire, he'll tell you. And the ninth stone, Jasper, the tribe of Benjamin, Yahweh is our strength. This would be trying to rely not on Yahweh. Conversely, we're trying to rely upon our own strength, our own flesh, our own thoughts, and our own ways of getting things accomplished. So already you can see how Satan, Chelel, twists these righteous characteristics and attributes that are given to Israel. He twists them wants to take that from us and turns them into the opposite on his breastplate. Now you should see the religion then, because of this, you can see the religion that Satan is actually high priest of. Because if we're lively stones according to Peter, then what should we be? Go through the list. We should be submitted. We should be pure. We should be in the light, which is the Torah, we should have the whole word of Yahweh. We should be about healing and health, reverence and zeal, and we should be able to accomplish all things in Yahweh. Or we're in rebellion, in rebellion to the Torah. We don't read the completeness of the word. We're just going to read from John forward and the rest of it is done away with. We're unable to heal ourselves and others and the community. We're irreverent, totally irreverent. We're indifferent. We really don't care. And we rely upon our own ideas to get things done. Whose breastplate are we wearing? By our actions, we should know whether we have got on the lively stones that Peter talks about or whether we have been affected in our thinking and are actually reflecting the stones of Halel. Right? This is amazing. Look at the three stones that are missing from the breastplate. Hyacinth, which is Yahweh's name and authority. The tribe of Gad. Satan has lost his right to the name of Yahweh and his authority. How come Satan, Satan, makes it across from Hebrew into the translation of Latin, into the translation of Greek, and over into the English Bible? Yet, the true name of Yahweh, the yod heh wah is missing close to 7,000 times in our Bibles and replaced with the title of a British landlord. See? That's the first stone missing. The second, agate. Of course, the tribe of Asher, meaning, meaning to restore to life, to return to Yahuwah, to do repentance. Are we doing that in our lives? Satan and the heavenly angels that fell with him have lost their ability to what? Repent. They've lost their ability to repent. 
How many times do you meet people that are so stiff-necked that they won't repent? And you're like, why won't you repent? Why won't you repent? Or repentance isn't a part of your worldview. I have twin brothers. They're at odds with one another. I love them dearly and I've gone for walks with both of them. But the idea of repentance and forgiveness, it is foreign to a secular worldview. You and I would be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to submit, right? But it's, it's, we're used to that in our worldview. But somebody that isn't a believer, it's very foreign because the world doesn't re teach returning to Yahweh repentance. Of course, it tries to hide the agate, the third stone amethyst to join closely for us to have unity the tribe of Issachar Satan Halel is no longer joined to Yahuwah has no covenant with Yahuwah and has no rights to those of you in the Malkitzedic covenant if you're walking in the covenant he actually has no legal rights to you you only give him access through your thinking. That's the distinction. So in the Malkitzedic covenant, what do we gain? Three stones. We gain three stones. The three precious stones that Peter talks about, Kepha, in the royal priesthood. We still have the light to Yahweh's name and authority. Declare his name and walk in his authority. Number two, we still have the light to do repentance. Return to Yahuwah and practice repentance in our lives. Thirdly, we still have the light to be joined closely to Yahuwah in covenant, like the amethyst, right? This is amazing. These are the three things then that Satan's going to focus on to try and do what? Tear us apart. He's going to focus on those three things to try and tear us apart as believers. I'm breaking all this down because I'm doing the inward work and going, okay, I don't want things that have happened in my life to happen again. So what do I need to do? Number one, Satan is looking to take away Yahweh's name and his delegated authority in our lives. He's delegated authority, authority to us. First thing that Satan's going to try to do is take away that. Second thing. He's going to try and take away your desire to make repentance for your false ideas and your false ideals. Both. And we all have them. Repentance begins that return. He's going to try and take away that. Oh, I don't need to repent. I'm just fine the way I am. My ideas, my thinking, and my ideals are just fine. No, we need to look at this. And third, he wants to take away the Malkitzedic covenant message that's broadcast by us all. Because he's the prince of the airwaves. Look what it says in Isaiah 54 verse 1. Turn there. It's a great passage of scripture about what Yahuwah is doing in our day. Sing, O barren one, 
You who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have been in labor, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the deserted one are more than the children of the married woman, said Yahuwah. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you You shall not break forth to the right or to the left, and your seed inherit the nations and make the deserted cities inhabited. Verse 4, do not fear, for you shall not be put to shame, nor hurt. You shall not be humiliated, for the shame of your youth you shall forget, and not remember the reproach of your widowhood any more. For your maker is your husband. Yahweh of hosts is his name. And the set-apart one of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the Elohim of all the earth. For Yahweh has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when you were refused declares your Elohim. For a little while I have forsaken you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an overflow of wrath, I hid my face from you. But just for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I shall have. I shall have compassion on you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer. For this is the waters of Noah to me. In that I have sworn never again to cover the earth. Remember how we began this study on Halel, two floods in scripture? For though the mountains be removed and the hills be shaken, my kindness, chesed in the Hebrew, is not removed from you. Nor is my covenant of shalom, peace, shaken, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. O you afflicted ones. You who are tossed with a storm and not comforted right now. See, I am setting your stones in antimony and shall lay your foundations with sapphires and shall make your battlements of rubies, your gates of crystal and your walls of precious stones. This is an end time prophecy about how Yahweh is going to take his sukkah And he's going to call in his children from all over the earth where we're dispersed. America, Australia, Canada, the UK, wherever we are. And he is going to call us in by the sound of his testimony through his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit. And so many of us are going to hear the call that he's going to have to lengthen the curtains He's going to have to lengthen the cords, take out the stakes and restake the tent because so many are going to be coming in. But we're going to be coming in and our workmanship is going to be in much need of repair. Because when we start to come together, 
many of our examples of our character is going to fall out and it's going to come trampled underfoot. The job of all of us isn't to just look at your stone that fell out of its setting and look at my stone that fell out of its setting because in reality all of our settings because we've been reared in the nations are in need of workmanship. But true maintenance of a jeweler or a gemologist is to look out for the whole magnificent work that is going to be visionary projected in the future. Let's just gather up the stones. We're not judging these stones right now. Let's gather them up and let's figure out how to make these settings strong. I believe this is what the Father wants. Not just here. But in this whole movement of people in gathering, because the trials and tribulations, they're not just happening here or there. It is a global thing. I've spoken to many, many leaders in whether you want to call it the Hebrew roots or messianic movement or even back in the Christian church. It's paramount everywhere. People's settings have been corrupted by the world and our stones are falling on the ground. And the trouble is we're trampling the stones underfoot instead of picking up the individual and saying, okay, but let's collect the stones together and now work on a new workmanship together. That's the bigger picture because I, you, the gemologist, we have a vision because we've already sketched it out. We've already diagrammed it. We already know through the foundation of the word what the, the beautiful ring is going to look like, right? So who cares right now that the setting's all busted up because we've already taken it to the designer. We know. We know where we're going. Husbands that are designing wedding rings for their wife, when the jeweler brings out this and that and it's in a dusty box because you shipped it over from Southern Diamond Mind in, in South Africa, you're not bothered by that because you've already agreed on what it's going to end up looking like and you know that you're actually going to have to grind it a little bit to get to the end. Look what it says in as we continue in this very wonderful chapter. Although I have forsaken you for a little while, it's not going to be forever. I will have compassion on you. I will actually gather you. You will return, shuv to me. You will do teshuva and return to me, make repentance, and you will forget the shame of the wife of your youth like a wife of youth forsaken. I will take you back. I am your husband. As a bride of Yahuwah has prepared a Malkizedic city, its name, Yahuwah Shamar, which is the breastplate patterned after that city. That's what it is. And this is what he says to us about it. Look at verse 13. And all your children taught by Yahuwah, and the peace of your children is going to be great. In righteousness, you shall be established far from oppression, for they shall not fear, and far from ruin, for it does not come near you. See, they shall indeed assemble, gather together, but not because of me. Whoever shall assemble against you falls for your sake. See, I myself have created the blacksmith who blows the coals with fire. 
who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall actually be able to prove wrong. This is the inheritance of the servants of Yahuwah. You know what the end product of that jewel crown is going to look like, so you're able to endure even when these things happen. Because you know that he's going to be faithful to us all, right? And their righteousness from me declares Yahuwah. Malkitzedic covenant believers, you and I have been given a city with settings of precious stones that are our inheritance, our heritage. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, For Elohim knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes shall be opened. And you shall be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw, that was the lust of her eyes, right? And the tree was good for food, that was the lust of the flesh. And the tree desirable to make one wise, that was the pride of life. We've got three things going on here, right? And the tree desirable for her to be wise, and she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So Satan here tempts Eve with the same sin that he himself was found guilty of, which is trying to obtain the office of Elohim to rule and reign over all creation, an office that he was never, ever entitled to. And he says, you shall be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. So we cannot fall into the trap of the devil by trying to obtain an office that was never ours to begin with. It was never designated to us to begin with. Don't try and rule and reign over others, but allow Yahweh to lead you into your good office. That's what you said last week. The measure that each of us is appointed to, the office to which he has for us, that is what we should seek to obtain. Nothing more and nothing less. And if we do that, then we stay in the measure and there is the success. How does knowledge of good and evil come? By us understanding the Torah. Because without the Torah, how would we ever know sin? That's what James talks about. You shall be like Elohim. The word Elohim actually means mighty ones, plural. So since Satan could not attain the office of Elohim, he had to invent an office that, can hold, that he can hold on to. Why? So he can gain worship, prayers, and praise that should have gone to Yahuwah. In order to do this, he had to invent an office, and that office was a God, to be a God. So we have to be aware that Satan is always trying to invent an office for you and I to which we do not belong. Yet Yahuwah has given us an office 
of which we are called that is actually part of our inheritance and heritage that we cannot deny if we are in the Ruach. You'll just know it. You'll just know it. There's the difference. Too many times in the church we saw people that were in positions that they should never have ever been in. Why? Because of this very root spiritual deception. You see? Eve fell for the lustful temptations of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life, and she rebelled against Yahweh's Torah that he had given to both of them. Satan then made his biggest mistake because he believed if man and woman fell, that what? If they fell, then they were done. They would be without redemption. He didn't understand that Yahweh already had a plan of redemption in line, in process. Because in his rebellion, Satan, Halel, slayed the sun from before the foundation of the world. Yahweh was able then to orchestrate his plan from the foundations of the earth, from the very throwing down of the earth. He had to, a plan in which he was able to create and make sons and daughters who would eventually rule and reign on the earth. On the very earth. And this is where Chelel made his biggest mistake. Satan did not account for the fact that Yahweh provided, listen, these characteristics for his children to what? To obtain. You and I have been provided these characteristics to obtain and we're supposed to spend the time that he's allotted for us on this earth seeking and searching out that which was hidden from us. But instead, the pride of the eyes, the pride of life, and the pride of flesh has us going over here. But in reality, he's already got us something better that we're to be seeking and searching out. And the biggest problem with it is that to seek and search it out you have to start to look at your own settings. Because if you're going to find it, which Yahweh wants, he wants to make sure that you are able to steward it. And you cannot steward that gift if your settings cannot hold the gift. So the problem is all mine. And it's all yours. It's stewardship of our settings. I do not have the right to blame you or you for my settings. We are supposed to be helping one another seek and search out our heritage and inheritance and try and help other people not be enamored with the pride of life over here. This is a much harder way, but it's a better way. But to do that, we've got to look at those pokey settings inside of us because that is what needs to be adjusted before Yahweh reveals the precious jewel and is allowed to place it in us. It is truly, truly all about stewardship. That's what it is. It's stewardship with this life that he's given us. 
I'm just blessed, and I know you are, that at least we're not no longer looking over in that direction at the pride of life, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes. We are at least going in the right direction, but nobody has given us the teaching that it's not about trying to point out that your jewel is on the, on the ground, my jewel is on the ground. It's about the settings of us internally that Yahweh wants to clean up so that he will then give us the true, true gifting of his precious stones that Peter actually got because Yahusha had to rebuke his settings before he could even attain it. Three times you'll hear the cockerel. Three times. Get behind me, Satan. You're being an adversary to me right now, Peter. Your settings are adversarial towards the kingdom of Yahweh right now, Peter. Yet Peter's the very one that teaches us how to obtain the precious stones. How? Because at some point he was rebuked so that he would start to do what we're now doing looking at our inward settings. And then when he adjusted his inward settings, he was able to obtain that which we could never have obtained before. This is amazing stuff. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 says, You were found perfect. The Hebrew word there is tamin. Tamin. It means you were found entire. You were found whole. Clinging in integrity. What do settings on a perfect ring do to that near precious diamond? They are perfect in integrity. Able to clasp and cling to the stone. Right? That's the whole point. It's all about tension. There's even these rings out there. I've seen them down the jewelers. They literally just hold the stone just like two little points. There's, it's, it's, there's hardly any metal. There's hardly any setting actually touching the stone. But they have been honed so precisely and so strong are the settings that it doesn't need that much material. Because it's tension, its vibration with the Ruach of Yahweh is so strong that it can maintain greater strength than all those prongs you see at Zales, right? Clinging with integrity, tamin, truth, without spot or blemish, complete, full, undefiled, and upright. That's what it means. It can also mean spiritually mature. How about that? What was it that made Satan Chilel complete? It was his study of the covenant Torah. Each one of us will be presented with a breastplate because we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests in the Malkitzedic covenant. And this would place us in that covenant position because we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests, the bride of Yahweh, and he has given each of his multi-plural brides a breastplate. That's what we're to seek and search out, our breastplate. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? It truly is. We're told in Isaiah 54 that the bride, the renewed Jerusalem's covering, would all be precious stones. 
Yahweh said he is building up his assembly out of living stones, lively stones, and the walls of the new Jerusalem has 144,000 stones in it. That's the measurement, 144,000 cubits. Ezekiel 28 verse 2, this says the master Yahuwah, because your heart, now the heart is called out seven times because the heart is the key to the workmanship and the settings within us. The heart is lifted up, verse 5, by your trade or your trafficking, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. In verse 11 of Ezekiel 28, Moreover, the word of Yahuwah came to me saying, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre. And of course, we know from our studies that verse 13 qualifies verse 12 for Satan. And say to him, This says the master Yahuwah, You sealed up a pattern full of hokmah and perfect in beauty. You have been in the Garden of Eden. That means the very inner court. Every precious stone was your covering. This is the stones from the altar. The ruby, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the turquoise, and the gold. These are the ten Stones now that symbolize Yahuwah's glory. And these are all part of what we're going to learn about a tree here in a moment that's connected to the word. Satan represented and presented this tree with these ten stones to all of the heavenly angels. The workmanship of your settings and your mountings was prepared for you in the day that you were created you are the Moshiach-like Cheruv that covers the Mesukah. The high priest, Messiah, the bride of heaven, like I've said before, that was meant to bring everybody into the Sukkah because Satan radiated the glory of Yahuwah out to the angels. So the official symbol of Satan's removal from heaven was the removal of his covering of these stones. No covering means what? If we're not seeking out that which was lost, our stones, our coverings and our workmanship, but we're over here in the world, then what? Then we're going to find no covering means a loss of anointing, a loss of position. We become impotent, a loss of authority, a loss of calling, a loss of ministry, and rebellion and vanity. That's what's over there. By the iniquity of your trade, Yahuwah calls Satan out. Because on Yom Kippur, Yahusha, at Passover, we know that he resurrected. They thought he was a gardener. And he says, don't touch me. And he ascends into the heavens and he places his blood on the Yom Kippur altar. And later on, Timothy, he says, put your hand right in my side. Thomas, excuse me, unbelieving Thomas, put your hand in my side. What happened? He went up to the heavens and he cleansed the Yom Kippur altar. He cleansed 
the trading floors of heaven because that's where Satan trafficked in. And Yahushua went up and cleansed the trading floors. What was it that Satan was trading in? He was trading in the occult, Freemasonry, false religion. He's trading in your DNA. He's trading in your and my souls. And Yahushua has cleansed the trading floors in the heavens for us so that now we're able to work on our workmanship. Therefore will I bring out a fire in your midst, it shall devour you, and I will bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that them that see you. So Satan, Satan, traded on the DNA knowledge, like I said last week, an inheritance of seed. Seed that was going to inherit heaven. And demons can't reproduce. So he traded that for their worship. I'll give you something that you don't have. He was trying to trade on the trading floors of heaven. Last week that we, we learned that revelation comes through sound, light, and vibrations. And again, only DNA is the pure carrier of those things, sound, light, and vibrations. And angels could never, ever trade and inherit this. Which is why Satan is on the trading floors or was on the trading floors with those things. Actually, there's, an, there's a translation of the book of Matthew called the Shem Tov. The Shem Tov translation of Matthew chapter 4 verse 9 says this. All these things I will give you if you bow down and worship me and bear your head to me. Take off your covering and trade with me. That's what Satan wants. To take off and remove your covering and trade with him. You've got to stay under the covering. We've got to stay under the covering. Satan is going to eat dirt all the day. That's you and me. He's going to seek to devour us because we came from the dirt all the days of our life. He's going to seek to devour our calling. He truly is. All the days of his life. Because you have taken his position. You and I have taken Satan's position, his authority. Now we are the bride and we are the priest in the Malkitzedic kingdom. Things that once belonged to Satan now belong to us. If we seek out and search that which was lost, and the journey to doing that is working on our settings. It's really quite simple when we kind of boil it down. I know I'm using a lot of words and a lot of scripture, but otherwise you'd be like, oh, you're making it up. No, you can actually start to see this in the scriptures. It's pretty powerful. 1 Peter 1.10, our salvation, this one I love, our salvation, that means the end of the days where we're at now, our salvation the prophets have inquired about. You mean Daniel, Isaiah, even Ezekiel, they were seeking out and wanting to know about our salvation. People are online going, where did he go? He disappeared. Yes, to the thermometer.
It is, isn't it? Oh, I don't know if it's me or if it's the, I'm going up front. I'm going to check on the other thermometer. It is, it's hot in here. Hallelujah. Yes, he makes his servants flames of fire. So the heavenly malachim, the heavenly angels, they desire to look into the heavenly priesthood. The bride and the sukkah of Messiah has brought us into these ten things. Let's look, list them out, because again, doing a bit of deconstruction so we can do some reconstruction in our lives. Ten things that Yahuwah wants us to obtain, that we've got to have this understanding. Number one, we have got to take a legal position to an illegal presence. And I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. Because I know I'm the only one where things come into my mind that shouldn't be there, but I've got to catch it and take a legal position to that illegal presence. Amen. Right? Yes. That's the first key to my success. Spiritually, when I'm with Yahuwah, and I've got to do this every day, because it happens every day to me, not to you guys, because I know that you're the perfect saints. The first thing, take a legal position to an illegal presence. The second thing, prayer is a legal position on earth. When you and I pray, we're actually taking a legal position on earth. I don't live in Oregon. I live on Oregon. I'm taking a legal position on the earth. People that are seeking the world, they live in Oregon. I live on Oregon. It's a different legal position that I'm taking a claim to. Number three, angels and demons weren't created from the earth. Therefore, they live in the earth, not on the earth. That's why I'm taking position number two. Does that make sense? Angels and demons weren't created from the earth. That's why they live in the earth and under the earth. And eventually they're going to come up out from under the earth. We live on the earth because we have dominion over it. We've been given an authority. That's why everybody in the world says, oh, I live in Wisconsin. Oh, I live in San Francisco. Oh, I live in... You don't hear people saying, no, I live on San Francisco. Because they're not taking a legal p position, and therefore they go to San Francisco, and they become part of the culture of San Francisco. And the next thing, we won't even go into the next thing. <laughs> right? Number four, we need to walk on the land with legal dominion. Number five, Satan didn't lose a religion. He lost a governing priestly position. Number six, demons and influencing spirits 
try to establish rulership and authority where they have no bloody authority. And that's a very appropriate usage of that word. They have to use people to do that. Demons and influencing spirits try to establish rulership and authority where they have no authority. So therefore they have to use people to do that. That's the problem. But once you become aware to it, then you can work on your workmanship and your settings of how to deal with it. And you and I are the bride, and as the bride, we are supposed to replace and displace. Because ultimately, we're supposed to replace and displace because Yahweh is setting up a tent and he's gathering in. He's replacing and displacing, isn't he? He's lengthening the curtains, lengthening the cords, and bringing the stakes out. So we should be doing the same thing. Number eight, covenant men are visionaries. We are providers. We are protectors. And most importantly, we are cultivators. Covenant women, number nine, are fruitful. I'm not just talking giving birth to children here before people say, oh, what, and the next thing you're going to do is say that she needs to be washing dishes. No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, like when somebody gets married and then you give them a, like a mixer as a wedding present and they could think that you're thinking, no, that's not what we're saying here. We're saying women are supposed to be fruitful and there's many aspects to that, Right? Spiritual fruitfulness, multipliers. That's not just going to childbirth. I'm talking multiplication of all things for Yahuwah, reproducers and discerners. That's what covenant women. And finally, number 10, demons try to steal pleasure from Yahuwah. They can't actually steal anything but pleasure from Yahuwah. Isn't that rotten? That's so rotten. But demons try to steal pleasure from Yahuwah. Yahuwah gets pleasure from the Sabbath, from the feasts, and from your and mine daily prayer. Those are the things which give Yahuwah pleasure. The Sabbath, the feasts and daily prayer. These are bigger than us. These three things. They're way bigger than us. Don't allow your bad decisions regarding these three things to steal pleasure from Yahweh. Oh, I, I don't have time to pray today. Oh, I got, I, you know, I got to go do something on Shabbat. No, your bad decisions regarding those three things, they're not going to send you to hell. We're not saying that, but understand, you're stealing pleasure from Yahuwah because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. And what's best for you is to communicate with him. What's best for you is to rest. And what's best for you is to seek him in the tabernacle with all of those others that he's gathering in in these days.
How we steward that is our personal workmanship of whether we'll even be able to obtain a stone or not. What's in your crown? Just workmanship with no stones because of lousy workmanship? We don't know, but we have to look inward. Does that make sense so far? Finishing up here, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians. First, um, the second chapter in 1 Corinthians talks about many things. Chapter 2 and verse 7. But we discuss the wisdom of Yahuwah shown in a mysterious way, and it is hidden. But Yahuwah ordained it before the world for our glory. So these things that are being revealed have been ordained before the foundations of the world for our glory. That's why I wanted to spend some time on this chapter in Ezekiel 28, because it does go back to before the foundations of the world, which is where the hidden mysteries are that are going to help us with our workmanship for his glory and your glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore, do not judge before the time. We're talking about the stones that have fallen on the ground because all of our workmanship has come from the nations. Now we have to work on our workmanship. So don't judge the stones right now because now is not the time for judging, is it? Now's the time for gathering, not scattering, until Yahweh comes and brings the light to the hidden things of darkness and reveals the thoughts of our hearts. Then, when? Then shall every man have praise from Yahweh. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. And every man who battles in the contest frees his mind from everything else. What are we supposed to do? If we're in the battle for the workmanship, we've got to free our mind from everything else. That's really hard. But that's the key. Freeing our mind from everything else. And yet they run to win a crown which is perishable. But we win one that is everlasting. So therefore, run. Not for something that is uncertain. And so I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I conquer and subdue my body so that by no chance when I have preached to others will I despise myself. James chapter 1 verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is tested, he shall receive a kehilah, a crown of life, which Yahweh has promised to all of those who love him. So our workmanship that is faulty means that we've got to endure temptations. It means that we've got to watch what we're thinking about. We've got to renew our mind. We've got to go to prayer. We've got to spend time in meditation. That we've, I mean, do you see where this is all going and where this is all coming from? I don't mean to be melodramatic, but, but it's so real to me. It's so real. Ephesians 3.10 For the intent that now through the rebuilt congregation principalities and authorities in the heaven might learn the ten sephirot the Hebrew word there the ten sephirot manifold wisdom of Yahuwah. So when Satan's covering was removed 
the sephirot were removed. Now, I have to be very careful because I've used that word twice. And some people are going to think they're going to want to lambast me and say what? What would they say? Oh my goodness, he's getting into Kabbalah and mysticism. The sephirot, the tent. Before we do that, because I don't want the emails to come in. Sephirot is actually a Bible term before it got hijacked by the mystics. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in your learning just because a bunch of Jewish mystics hijacked the Sephirot and they did put it in Kabbalah. And we should not get into Kabbalah. But that doesn't mean we throw out our Bible learning just because a bunch of funky rabbis got into magic, right? No. So where does this word come from before people freak out and turn me off? The word comes from the same Hebrew root. And there's a common word or letter within all of them. That again, we're going to connect back to last week. The word sephirot, it comes, of course, from sefer. Sefer means what? The text. The text. Samak pei resh. It also comes from sipur. Sipur means a recounting of a story. Samak yod pei vav resh. Sephirot comes from sapphire, sapphire, brilliance, luminary, spelt samak pei yod resh. Sephirot comes from safar, making a boundary, samak pei resh. And sephirot comes from sofa, a scribe, samak vav pei resh. What is the common letter in all of them? The key to attaining the ten sephirot, the emanations of Yahweh is what? The pay. What is the pay? What we speak and what we listen to, allowing to come into our mind. That's the key to attaining us. All of these have the pay. Set boundaries the fourth one, Safar, Samak Pei Resh. For us to attain what Yahweh's hidden and for us to truly work on our workmanship, it's not your workmanship, but my workmanship, we have to do what? We have to do the fourth one. We have to set Safar. Where Sephiroth comes from, boundaries. First thing that Yahweh said to the children of Israel when they went into the land was what? What was the first thing? The first thing he said to them, you set up boundary stones and you put my sapphire on them. My foundational words, write them on the stones. Because that's the key to you finding what I've hidden for you. Is you've got to set up boundaries of what you will allow in your mind, in your ears, in your life, and what you will not that's the key to us searching out what is hidden and what Yahweh wants us to find. These ten illuminations, what do they really mean? When we look at Sephirot, what does it really mean? It means not Kabbalah, no. Break it back down to the word of Yahweh. Sephirot means the brilliance of the text.
recounts a story recorded in its pages of the boundaries and luminaries of the throne room of heaven. So why, of course, would Satan want to counterfeit it with Kabbalah? Because he doesn't want you to see the brilliance of the text recounts a story recorded in its pages of the boundaries and luminaries of the throne room of heaven. That's what we're supposed to be seeking and searching out. Ten illuminations of Yahweh's infinite brilliance as it was manifest in the creation. As revelations of Yahweh's will, we're going to see these ten different channels through which the one Yahweh reveals his will to us through meditation, study, and prayer. I personally use these every day. And have for years. And I do not do Kabbalah. Just saying. I do not practice Kabbalah. But I do take back this word that has been hijacked from the rabbis. And I do understand its biblical origin. And I'm not scared and intimidated by it. Oftentimes people throw the baby out with the bathwater because they're scared and intimidated and they don't understand. That's not to judge anybody. But we need to take back the dominion that was stolen. That's what I'm saying. Let's look at the ten because some of you still don't believe me. They're actually in the Bible. Let's find the ten sephirot in the Bible. The first four are in Isaiah chapter 11. And we'll see them right there. The spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. Why are we even looking at the ten sephirot? Because these are the emanations of the breastplate that show you how to connect with Yahweh through prayer and meditation. If you seek out Yahweh through these channels in your prayer life, in your study of the word, and your time with him, then you will actually work on your workmanship and settings and you will be able to attain the jewels for the crown that you have. Because it's ultimately your journey. It's your journey. And when we finally, when we finally get to the place where we can say, you know what? It's about stewardship. Then I think we will we'll find the healing that many of us have not been able to attain. Because stewardship is the true key to success. Isn't it? Because that gets rid of the blame game. Doesn't it? Stewardship always gets rid of the blame game. Because it lays the blame where it should be. Squarely on your and mine shoulders. And who's there when we repent and acknowledge that? He who is yoke is light and easy. And upon his shoulders is that whole government of Sephirot built. The ten Sephirot. Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2. We'll find four of them. The spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom. Chokmah is a sephirot. 
the spirit of understanding. The sefirot of binah. The spirit of power, courage, gevurah, the third sefirot. The spirit of knowledge, da'at, or the spirit of fear of Yahuwah. The four sefirot right there, this quote alone, we see the four. We've got wisdom, chokmah. Two, understanding, binah. Three, power, or gevurah. And four, keter, which is crown. The crown, where the will and the knowledge is, right? It's your thinking. So now let's go and find some more. We're going to find four more sephirot in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. These are the stones. We're looking for them. These are the channels of which we seek Yahweh in our prayer life and meditation time. And study time, of course. Number five. Now, this isn't in the order of the sephirot. We're just discovering them and listing them out. And then I'll give you the actual order. We're just finding them in the Bible first. The fifth one we're going to find is in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. And it says, Yours, Yahweh, is the greatness, the power, and the splendor. There's the fifth sephirot. And the sixth and victory, and the seventh, and majesty, indeed, everything in heaven. And we're going to find the eighth. Yours is the kingdom, Malchut, Yahuwah, and you are exalted above them all. So we find the fifth sephirot right here that we find is splendor, which is Tifereth, or harmony. The sixth Sephiroth is majesty or victory. In the Hebrew, we call it Netzar. And the seventh Sephiroth is called triumph, which is Hod. And then the eighth Sephiroth is kingdom or kingship, and it's Malchut. Malchut. So that leaves two. We've got two more to discover. And we're going to find those, the last two, in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone. Foundation is yesod, a tried stone, a costly cornerstone for a sure foundation. So that foundation stone is yesod. And then we're going to find again in 2 Chronicles, that 10th sephirot, which is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. Give thanks unto Yahuwah for his chesed, his mercy endureth forever. These are the places in scripture where these attributes, these channels to Yahuwah's will appear. How many times have we heard, oh, I don't know what the Father wants for my life. Oh, I can't hear from him. And I hear from Yahuwah. But I don't hear, I'm not going to pretend, I don't hear like this loud clanging voice, Hey Matthew! But by going through these sephirot channels and understanding it through the Bible, even if, to tell you the truth, even if I'm only like in prayer for five or ten minutes, I don't pray for hours and hours on end. I pray 
continually without ceasing throughout the day. I'll be walking along the street, I'll be waiting in the coffee line, I'll be singing in my car. But I don't, I don't, I mean, there's nothing wrong. Some people do. I've always had a trouble. I've been a better at studying than I have at prayer. So over the years, I've like, I want direct access when I pray because my mind is everywhere. And the only way my mind really subdues and gets settled is through study. That's how Yahweh deals with me. But I understand prayer is important. So years ago, I was like, okay, when I discovered this, it really benefited me major big time in my prayer life, which was always harder for me. I can sit and study for 15 hours, no problem. And it will go like quickly. But when I'm praying, I'm just being honest with you. I'm thinking about all the other things I could be doing or what. And so I need really big time boundaries on that. So for this, for me, has enabled me to do that and be really, really successful in prayer when it's not my um, personal strength necessarily. It's become stronger, but through understanding and, and learning how to Steward it. Does that make sense? A lot of words for a silly little thing of my, my struggles. But let's look at these 10 now. Um, Sephiro, actually in order. Number one is Keter, the crown. You've got to have the crown. Number two is Binah, fill that crown with understanding. The third one is fill that crown with Chokmah, wisdom. The fourth one is Din or Gevarah. You've got to be powerful in your prayer life. The fifth is Tefereth. That's the bulb, like the bulb that's on the um, menorah. That's Yahweh's glory, and it can be your glory too, is that bulb. The sixth is Chesed. We've got to be merciful. The seventh is Chod. We've got to triumph when we fall because that's how we gain the majesty. The eighth is Netzar. There's always victory for us around the corner. You may not see it now, but when you press in, there's always going to be a victory. Always. I guarantee it. When you press in, maybe not in your study life, but in your prayer life, you'll always get the victory when you keep going back in prayer. That's all I've been able to do. The ninth, that bulb foundation is Yesod. And the tenth, ultimately, he's going to give you the Malchut. The root is the kingdom. And the disciples said to the master when he was raised and glorified, first question was, Master, when are we going to get the tenth Sefi wrote? When's the kingdom of Yahweh coming? They were looking for the tenth Sefi wrote because they figured they had the first nine. They were in the presence of the master. They were waiting for the tenth. That's the reality of what they were talking about. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They were in the presence of the master. They were feeling the victory. They were feeling the glory. But they were like, we see a bunch of Romans. When's the kingdom coming? They were looking for the tenth Sephirot. All ten Sephirot are actually recorded by the apostle Paul. You won't get this on a Sunday sermon in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. All ten Sephirot. Now, I use these, like I said, daily in my life to be able to overcome, to stand and accomplish things. Truly, if you want to overcome, you want to stand and you want to accomplish, even when you don't quite see the victory yet, just do these things. For one is given by the Ruach, the word of Hokmah, wisdom. 
to another the word of binah, knowledge. You see the sephirot right here. Sephirot, chokmah, keter, crown. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. We've got tifereth, we've got chesed, we've got glory and mercy, these gifts of healing. We've got these things here. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another the means to distinguish discern the true spirit and to another the interpretation of tongues and languages so right there you've got the sephiro of gevurah yesod binah netzah right there manifesting in the very new testament but all these gifts are wrought by the one and same spirit distributing to each one according to his will right there you've got the sephiro of what Keter, crown, and malchut. He's distributing to all and at his own very will. You and I need to experience his presence and his light. Those are the bulbs on the seven branches of the menorah. His light, right? I'll finish up with two verses from (coughs) Exodus 37, verse 17, and Isaiah 11, verse 1. And he made the menorah of pure gold, of beaten work. He made the menorah, its shaft, its branch, its cups, its knobs, and its bulbs were the same. What's the symbol of our faith that was stolen from us and is now being restored? The menorah, because when we go into his light, we can seek the ten sephirot, which will let us attain the bulbs of the kingdom when we've worked on our workmanship. That menorah was created by Bezial, the great workman in the Old Testament. And Yahweh is saying that you and I need to be those Bezials, not so that I can work on you and that you can work on me, but that we can work on our own stuff. Stuff. Right? Look in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Yeshai, and out a netzeh branch shall grow out of its roots. And the Ruach Kakodesh, the Holy Spirit of Yahweh, shall rest upon him. And the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, the Ruach of Chokmah, Binah, the Ruach of counsel and might, the Ruach of Da'at, knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. Look at the high priest of the lower priesthood, even Satan revealing the secrets of a glorious covering. But he fell. See how Paul even alludes to this, back with these gemstones that are now covering and supposed to be covering New Testament saints those that are in the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant, the new Malkitzedic covenant, that you are a kingdom of priests. We can do truly, I believe, amazing things in these days if we pause and look at our own workmanship. Together we can truly set aside time from the folly and foolery of the world and focus on healing and the heavenly realm in our lives through meditation, study of the word and prayer. Those three things, meditation, study, and the word of prayer, by accessing the throne room of heaven, we must understand it's time 
to stop letting things get in our mind and our life because we never set the boundaries. Take a legal position to an illegal presence in your life and you'll also be able to attain these things. That's the word for today. I hope it ministers to you because it comes from a place for me of brokenness and also a place of healing, seeking and searching for that victory even when I had not yet attained it but knowing that it would come by putting these things into practice even in an area like prayer that isn't my strongest strength whereas word is. So he meets us where we're at even if you say oh I can never do this but we can. This was the final section on the heavenly realm in Ezekiel 28. Took three parts, but I hope that we can see that there was much to learn, take pause and meditate on. So Yahweh, we thank you and pray, Father, that you would truly cement this into our binar, our understanding. We thank you for this time as you prepare us, Abba, to come and seek and search you out each and every day in Yahusha's mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.